morning, Hillcrest family. Good morning, David. My name is David. Love being one of the pastors around here. And uh, like Jack said, there is uh, that card on your seat or near a seat because Triple Treat is coming up. This is uh, an opportunity we collectively invest in around here. And yet, here is the desire, here is the hope, sometimes what it feels like, at least in Western evangelical America, it is exclusively about the event. And uh, opposite of the Home Depot slogan, uh, what sometimes feels like is, I can do it and you can help. And that is not the desire around here at Hillcrest. The desire around here at Hillcrest is actually, yes, we do collective opportunities, but the primary Drive is one life at a time. You can do it. We can help. And so we pray, we watch, and we step. And and if that's new for you, if that's unfamiliar, uh, it comes from Colossians 4 for us. Here's what Paul cries out. We pray to the God who hears. We watch for his work around us, and then we step into gospel conversations. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am imprisoned, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And so we pray. We pray believing God is actually at work in people's lives. And we long to spark conversation and we watch. We watch for his work all around us. And then we actually Hold off and not share anything? No, we step. We step into those conversations. And so, like Jack said, there is an event happening. We are collectively gathering, and yet the desire is for the conversations that will happen in neighborhoods all across our community this afternoon. And so, speaking of watching, tell me if this is familiar in your guys' home. Um, someone sent me a link of a YouTube video. I think it's called Dad Dude or Dude Dad. Does that mean anything to anybody? Dude, there you go. <laughs> and, and so they sent me a video. And maybe this is true in your home as well. Um, there's clothes that I have. And they're not clean because I've already worn them, right? But they're not yet dirty. So they're not ready for the laundry. Where do they go? Where, where do those clothes go? Back in the clean area. There you go. Some of us throw it back in the clean area. So this guy has a video. And now he's labeled it. He calls it the sweet spot. Where, what are those clothes that are outside the hamper but not in the closet? What are those? And he explains, there's the sweet spot. It's, they're not clean because he's worn them before. But they're not yet dirty because it's only worn them once or twice, Right? So now, if you have a place in your home, so for me, it's on the dresser. That's usually where Casey tells me, she's like, David, what are those clothes on your dresser? I'm like, babe, that's the sweet spot right there. That's the, that's the clothes are still in limbo. But in this morning's text, unlike that video, Jesus is going to describe a situation where there is no spot where the clothes hang out in between clean or dirty. He says it's either one or the other. He says, following him, it's either you're in and following him or you've yet to treasure him. He says it is a wholehearted pursuit. And so he's going to call us in this text, count the cost. Here's what he says. 
Now, great crowds accompanied him as he turned and said to them. So this is Jesus talking to those who are following him. And what would you imagine he's going to say to those that are following him? He's going to give them some kind of encouraging word, some kind of words of wisdom, some insight to inspire them along the way. Here's what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great ways off, he will send a delegation and ask for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. So this morning... Luke is continuing and tells the story of Jesus turning to those who are following him, still with that narrow door in mind that we covered a few weeks ago. Still with the narrow door in mind, Jesus turns and addresses those following him on his way to Jerusalem. And he'll connect the text from last week, the banquet table, which is point four on our outline. He's going to connect that banquet table with what he's going to share this morning. And those who were distracted and miss it, They made excuses with this teaching of following Jesus as a wholehearted pursuit. He's going to connect that banquet from last week, which is the joy of celebrating with him at this banquet table with the high calling of counting the cost of what it means to follow him along the way. So pray with me and we will will jump in uh, with what Luke records of Jesus' words. Jesus, you are so kind to us. Uh, Whatever we might be bringing in, wherever our mind uh, is swirling at this moment uh, with all the challenges that are are taking place uh, in our world, but but in our our lives, in our homes, in our day-to-day, may you still those and and help us hear from what you have for us uh, of this cost of following you, what it means to count that cost and deliberately, intentionally choose to follow you along the way. So reveal yourself this morning. Uh, It is always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So where he starts, uh, in this journey of following him, the call of Jesus is up front with no gimmicks. Have you ever participated in something where it feels like there was a bait and switch, where you you were invited to participate in something, and then all of a sudden it's like, "Ah, aha, right? That's why you wanted me here, right? The bait and switch. In this call, there's no gimmicks. Jesus is fairly upfront about what the invitation is, and he uses pretty strong language. Here's what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so there's a, a word that obviously jumps out to us. 
There's a word that jumps out in that call, and it's that word hate. What does it mean to hate your own family? How does that make sense, Jesus? In other places, it feels like we're called to honor our father and mother. How can you call us to hate? And in that context, that this is a big deal. Family's a big deal. I remember in, in, in Kosovo, interacting with families that were leaving the Islamic religion, and, and they would have a hard time sharing with their family that they wouldn't immediately share because they understood the implications of declaring that reality to their family because it would put them at odds. They would be disowned from their family. What does Jesus mean by hate? Hate your father and mother. And so we're going to look at a few texts in the Old Testament and then a few other texts because it's a Hebrew idiom of comparative value of worth. And we see that immediately But there's one other text in Luke. If it's unclear here, Jesus is saying there is a cost to following him. He said this earlier in Luke. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and the daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus is saying... There is a cost of following me, and he uses the word hate. What is that? It's this Hebrew idiom that we see in other references that speaks to value, worth, in comparison. Here's a text from Genesis 29, if you're familiar with Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. So Jacob is working with his father-in-law, Laban, and he wants to marry Rachel, Laban wants his daughters to be married off, and so he essentially tricks Jacob, and after Jacob works for him for seven years, he gives Leah in marriage, and Jacob says, that's, that's not who I want to marry, and Laban makes him work another seven years to marry Rachel. Here's how that scenario is described. So Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. That's critical in understanding Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened up her room, but Rachel was barren. And so what do we see about how the biblical text is using that language? It is loved more than, of greater interest and value. Here's another one later in Exodus. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of our fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. What's he saying? When you value anything more than God, you're in Romans, where he talks about Jacob and Esau. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. In terms of where he was going to invest the future of this growing nation of Israel, he invested in Jacob. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And then Matthew picks up this same story in his gospel, and here's how he describes what Jesus is saying in Matthew 10. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me 
is not worthy than me. So it's this comparison of value. What is loved and what is hated? And I love the way one of the commentaries describes it. He says this. We renounce everything we have, our relationships, our desires, our lives, our possessions, everything. None of it will have a hold on us, only Christ. We renounce everything. And so I I wonder, in our lives, we make these decisions all the time. Where we're placing value. Because do the things of this life bring joy? Let me answer for you. Yes, we enjoy things in life. These are good things that we enjoy. And we can do some pretty clean, clear analysis in the decisions we make every single day. So, so here's, here's something in my life. When I think of some comparative value, I drive an 09 CRV. That's, that's the car I drive. And then I look at a 2023 Chevy Silverado. I mean, my heart just goes, man, that's what I want to be driving. That's, look at that thing. I mean, it's, I mean, even with the background, say that again. It's a gas guzzler. Don't they make like EcoBoost or something? I mean, you just want to, you look at that thing and you're like, man, that's a good truck. And I play, I play basketball on Saturday mornings. This is the Lord convicting me, right? I'm a, I play basketball on Saturday mornings. I pull into the parking lot at 5.30 in the morning. GMC Sierra, 2022 or 2023. GMC Colorado, Chevy Silver. All these trucks just bombarded me. And then I pull in with my 2009 Honda CRV. And, and so you just, you just feel it. In comparison... You look at those two, the choice is, I think, fairly clear. We want the truck. Unless, unless you add other factors in, like my family. And then, my desire is to provide activities for my kids. There's more joy to be had in providing opportunities for them to experience sports or vacations or activities. And so, I will happily drive my 2009 CRV. Because I'm choosing other things. Jesus says, unless you hate your father or mother, what is that? He's saying, there are good things in this life, but not to take the place of the preeminence of Christ. Our value one around here, there is joy in Jesus above anything else this life has to offer. These things in life do bring joy. But in comparison to Christ... He's saying you need to renounce all things. The line is not hard to find of what the cost is when the cost is anything. (laughs) That there is more joy in Christ. That's what he's saying. And the beauty then becomes, if that's true of your life, sometimes where we go is, well, am I doing enough? The joy becomes, it plays back into all these things in life. I actually get to enjoy all of the things in life as gifts of God. And and there's an order to it. That we have a value on our family, of our wife, of our kids. And and then the beauty of friends that are in our life. But you would, I think, rightly criticize me if, if somehow I started prioritizing other things above my family or kids. Because then there's the stuff of life that then filters down from there. And yet, it is always the call is their greater joy in Christ above anything else this life has to offer. When he says, we renounce everything we have, our relationships, our desires, our lives, our possessions, everything, none of it will have a hold on us, only Christ.
Christ. And so the question then becomes, because our Mondays matter, what, what would that actually look like? And so the prayer we pray around here, God, what are you inviting me into? Because I believe he's providing opportunities for us to demonstrate this on a daily basis. And, and, and so for me, that there's always room to grow. I tried that 09 CRV, right? But man, sometimes even that, it's an 09 CRV. And yet, when one of the kids swings the door open and dings that thing, right, it starts to erupt in me. Why do I care about these things? God, what are you inviting us into provides opportunities all the time for us to evaluate is Jesus preeminent in our life? And he continues. The call of Jesus is up front with no gimmicks. There's no bait and switch. And it is a call to die. Here's what he says in the text. Pick it up at verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That he makes this high call. Where does your heart go in that sense? He says, do we die to self? And my fear is when you hear language like that, that, that even to our own life to die to self, what might erupt in us is this self-hatred. That I'm not doing enough, that I'm not good enough, that I'm not worthy enough. Who, who am I? I'm not good enough. And there's just this bombardment of negativity that seems more like self-hatred rather than what the invitation seems to be is an increasing love of Jesus. That is actually in comparison He is that much sweeter, that much better. And then, I don't think this is metaphorical. (laughs) When they hear cross, they don't think some piece of jewelry that we hang on our necks. This seems like an equation, cross equaling death. Are we willing even to the point of giving our life? Jesus said earlier, don't fear him who can kill the body Fear him who has control over the soul. So he says, even up until death, it is the call of Jesus, this invitation of everything. Again, it's not hard to find the line of cost if the, if the line and the cost is everything. And then, what I love, he helps us see it's not a negotiation. Sometimes, do you guys have any like streaming services like Netflix or Hulu or something? You guys have those? Right? That's what I'm talking about, Coop. I believe it. We got like never. And and what can you do? You could say, hey, I'm comfortable if there's ads. Like I'll pay $9.99 or I'll pay a little less and I'll endure this. Like I'll give you this if you're giving me that. Does it seem Jesus is making that same invitation? (laughs) He says, this is not a negotiation. He says, here's what it looks like to follow me. It is a whole heart. And so he's going to give us a few illustrations about what it means to count that cost. To believe the hamper is either in or out of the hamper. There's not a little sweet spot that you can kind of dance around in and leave your clothes in. He says, count the cost. Here's what he says. Verse 28, for which of you, 
Desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down, will not sit down first and deliberate? So these two situations, they could be, they could be just stories that Jesus is telling. They could just be stories that, like an illustration, they're, they're kind of connected. Or, stinking Jesus, these are incredibly focused, deliberate, contextual stories that speak to the reality of people that these guys know that made poor choices. There's a story of as the gladiator game started to return and the influx of desire for participation in that grew, there was one of these patrons that immediately put up a wooden coliseum too quickly and after participating in it, collapsed both inward and outward and killed 20,000 people. One historian says killed and maimed 50,000. So this is a pretty contextual story. They know people who did not count the cost and it actually changed the trajectory of the Romans and the way they evaluated the infrastructure of building these coliseums because of this guy's poor planning. Second, what king going out to another king in war does not first sit down and deliberate? Herod divorced his first wife. Herod Antipas divorced his first wife and married Herodias. Do you guys remember Herodias? She's the one involved in the beheading of John the Baptist. You know, that wife he divorced was the daughter of an Arab prince. And that Arab prince didn't think it was so cool that Herod divorced his daughter. So what did he do? He amassed a troop of 20,000 people to attack Herod's 10,000 troops and smoked them. Herod didn't evaluate the decision and the implications of his decision too well. Tiberius in Rome didn't love that this Arab prince was now conquering one of these little, little pockets of his kingdom. So he then returned the favor, so we still get to continue the story. But there's an example, Jesus speaking very directly to his situation. The Colosseum that shatters, and then Herod making a decision that has significant implications on the trajectory of other of consequences. Jesus says to his followers, are you counting the cost? Are you sitting down and deliberating the implications of your decision of what it means to follow me with your life? And so I couldn't help but look up, what are modern day buildings that maybe didn't have as much thought put into them? And one of the stories that came up was, was this in London, England. Uh, there was a guy, Edward Watkins, who around the time the Eiffel Tower was built, decided the English can do it better. And so he decided to construct a similar tower, 150 feet taller. Just competition, right? Comparison kills in this particular case, or you lose a lot of money. Tries to build a tower. It ends up being in a pretty marshy area in London. We know something about that here in Oregon, in building in marshy areas. So it was built, constructed, and a few years later began to lean and never made it past this state of the build. They instead destroyed it, 1906, and 
this was a statement on how that was viewed. They referred to this as London's stump and Watkins' folly. A recognition that this person didn't count the cost. Jesus is saying to his followers, are you counting the cost of this decision? Of what it means to follow me with your life. Not beating yourself up that somehow I'm, I'm not supposed to enjoy these things of life. But when called upon, do you renounce all things for the sake of Christ? Do you not first sit down and deliberate? And therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all things that he has cannot be my disciple. That CRV, when my kids ding it with a door causes me more frustration in my heart than I'd like to admit. What areas in your life do some of the stuff of this life, because we're a pretty consumeristic society in America, is that true? What are the things in this life that maybe cling a little closer than we'd like them to? And so the question then becomes, what would a half-hearted following of Jesus look like? If we're following Jesus with our whole heart, what what would a half-hearted response look like? And my mind goes to this living inconsistently. That my life on Sundays looks different than my life in my Monday to Saturday. Because Monday's coming, right? We're going to head back to our worlds, to our workplaces, to our families. Is there a consistency with how we live And do we misrepresent the cost of our gift? Do we recognize just the weight of what it means that Jesus gave his life to reconcile us? Is there a recognition, but sometimes a half-hearted response would be maybe a flippant or misrepresentation of that cost? Neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. John talks about this in Revelation. You, you want to hang out either by the hamper or in the closet. There, there's, there's, there's a lukewarm spot of that sweet spot in following Jesus. He says that doesn't exist. Do, do I actually long to give my life to him more and more? And my decisions with my time, my treasure, my talent reflect that? Or, or does it feel like I'm pretty blasé, pretty flippant with, uh, with these choices? And then this one, this one was personal to me, causing others to stumble. You know, we're doing this thing called triple treat, right? Does that sound familiar? But our desire around here is not to obligate, is not to shackle people, because for us, we're not celebrating anything evil. For us, it is a desire to embrace and engage culture and meet people where they're at, and yet, We understand if it's not the cry of your heart, if this feels evil to participate, we would say, we're not trying to lead anybody into sin. We don't want anybody being led into sin and stumbling and and challenging and compromising their faith. And so we don't want to cause people to stumble. I don't long for people to make a choice that they, for them, would be sin. And so for us, we long for Triple Tree to be a place to engage culture, to lovingly stand, to have compassion without agreement with the hopes that some will find Jesus. Where in your life might there be areas where you're maybe modeling something that might lead someone else to stumble? That's an opportunity to reflect on what a half-hearted pursuit might be. A divided and not at the great banquet. We're going to get there in a second. And, and this one cannot be Jesus' disciple. <laughs> He says it's an an impossible disconnect. It cannot coexist to have a half-hearted pursuit. 
a wholehearted pursuit though? What would that look like? To, to be wholeheartedly pursuing this non-negotiable pursuit, it, it is. He is our highest priority in allegiance. In our decisions, in our language, in our choices, with our time, treasure, and talent, we demonstrate that he is our highest priority. And our anchor for identity and self-image, there's so many places clamoring for us. If you buy this product, you will be defined in a certain way is the cry, Right? Jesus says, find your identity, your significance, your self-image in me. Not in sports, not in your work, not in your relationships. It is anchored in Christ, he says. And then, a daily desperate dependence on God. Do we start our days and just feel bombarded and overwhelmed by all the things clamoring for our attention? Or have we committed, let this trouble for today be for today, do we anchor ourselves in what a daily dependence on Jesus would look like before we start the day? Is there a reliance on him before I enter in and am bombarded by everybody else's expectations? Is there a daily dependence? And then I was talking to a friend recently. He allowed me to, uh, to come and just visit him in his place of work. And, uh, and, and I got to be a fly on the wall with his interaction with someone in his life. And, uh, and, and I heard and saw him spark curiosity. And, and I watched him give many gospel stories. And then we debriefed afterwards and I said, well, tell me about that. What was that like? And, and he said, David, I just view my primary occupation as inviting people into life with Jesus. That, that I, I see myself as a pastor. I don't possess the title of pastor, but, but I see myself as pastoring lives that I interact with in my sphere of influence. This wholehearted pursuit. It encouraged me and reminded me, what would it look like for us to constantly see ourselves through that lens? Not as, David, isn't this your job? But rather as a community, we are invested in our spheres. This wholehearted pursuit. And this isn't new. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Jesus picks that up and says, you shall love the Lord with all your God, Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your strength, and your mind. And then he makes sure this is a clear element. Because sometimes it feels like, we feel like if we have the vertical, we're good. And yet Jesus says, does it manifest itself in a love for neighbor? And so we long, and you could ask Casey, David talks all this stuff. Does it actually get applied in the way he demonstrates love towards his family in these horizontal relationships? Does this person look familiar to anybody? Anybody know who this is? And shout it out if you do. Yes, Ray the Boston Marathon. Anybody know her name? Ruiz. Her name, uh, and I recalled it, uh, Ruby. Ruby Ruiz ran the Boston Marathon April of 1980. And and she ran and, uh, and came across the finish line first woman and was in an outstanding time. I mean, it was, it was incredible. One of the fastest times ran by a woman up until that point in 1980. She comes across the line and she's celebrated. They put a medal around her neck. They put a wreath to crown her, just awarding her this victory. 
And then, then she had an interview with one of the commentators. And the commentator asked, hey, so what, what was your interval time? And she responded, what's an interval? And then, and then the story started to unfold a little bit more. I mean, this was incredible, incredible time. We want to celebrate this woman awarded. And then she didn't seem as sweaty as some of the other competitors. And, and her body type wasn't quite as lean as some of the other marathon runners. And she hasn't appeared in any other marathon up until this point. Like, this is a big Boston marathon. People travel across the globe for these things, this thing. And she has yet to win another prestigious award. And so the story started to unfold. Ruby actually joined the race in the very last mile. (laughs) And, And no one had seen her throughout the entire race. Because she wasn't there. And she ran that last mile and came in first. Obviously, that award was taken away. She, she didn't actually run the race. And I couldn't help but think how this illustration is so relevant for those that want to follow Christ. We want the award at the end. <laughs> We long to be at that banquet and celebrate with King Jesus at the end. And yet sometimes what it feels like is we're unwilling to count the cost and run what's required in this marathon. We sure want the accolades and the award at the end. And yet Jesus continually calls, have you counted the cost for what it means to run this race? But rather than bombard ourselves with self-hatred, don't forget the context that he writes in. The call of Jesus is an invitation to this banquet from the last text from last week. Then the master of the house became angry and said to a servant, go quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir... What you commanded has been done, and there is still room in this beautiful banquet. And the master said to the servant, go, go to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The call to follow Jesus is a call to enjoy this beautiful life and abundant banquet with him. It is the joy of celebrating and being in his presence and yet the recognition that some have made excuses or attempted to jump in on the last mile of the race. Jesus says here is the invitation to life in his name and so he has. He's been gathering his people and people have been responding. The question for me then, for us, where does your mind go? After hearing this call to count the cost and wholeheartedly pursue Jesus, where does your mind go? Does it go to a place of, this cannot be the Jesus I think of. This is not the stories I've heard. It's a lot more loving, isn't he? Isn't he a lot more kind? This can't be the, the words and the call of Jesus. Maybe. 
You go to, you know, I'm doing pretty good. You know, Jesus is pretty lucky to have me on his team. I need to tell him that a little bit more often. Or maybe it's the other place where you just feel like, am I doing enough? Am I hating my family enough? Am I doing the right things? And and there's this bombardment of of self-hatred that you weigh on yourself. Instead, what seems to be the call is, this commitment is high to declare the supremacy of Jesus in all things with my time, with my treasure, with my talent. This cost, Jesus, that you're inviting me to is high. And so we cry out. We pray. We cry out with desperate dependence, Jesus, help. (laughs) I'm not earning my standing before you. I need more of you and your work in my life. Help, Jesus, in this journey that I would follow you more. And so what would it look like to evaluate? To evaluate the obstacles in our lives to more wholeheartedly pursue following Jesus? What are those things that maybe clamor for more of our attention or affection? (laughs) Every time I pull into basketball at 5.30 in the morning on a Saturday, I know what is crying in my heart. (laughs) Stinking Chevy Silverado 2023. And yet, it's not illegitimate to own a Chevy Silverado 2023. But for me, where my heart and mind go, It's an obstacle to believe Jesus is better regardless of whether I ever own a truck or not. What it feels like sometimes in this journey, the obstacle is just a long obedience in the same direction. You know, getting married, having a big celebration, that's fun. You know what's hard? marriage, fighting every single day to believe this is the way God designed it within all the challenges that exist in these relationships. We continue to strive to... It's kind of the fun part. Thank you. And yet, raising these guys is challenging. And it's worth it to believe we continue week in and week out to grow in what it means to trust Jesus as he's working this journey out in our life. Evaluate the obstacles. What is that? Usually around money, sex, and power. And then, who in your life demonstrates a wholehearted pursuit of Jesus? Build community. (laughs) Call them. Talk to them. With the hopes that maybe there's part of that, what you see in them will grow in you. What you see in them, that wholehearted pursuit. When I sat at the table of that man as he was sharing the hope of Jesus, I was encouraged. I was reminded. I need to follow Jesus a little bit more wholeheartedly myself. And then, and I'm going to invite the worship team up. What does it look like for us to seek Jesus to allow me to share these things? It was a book called you, by Eugene Peterson called Run with the Horses. It's his development of Jeremiah, and he says this. The mark of a certain kind of genius is the ability and energy to keep returning to the same task relentlessly, imaginatively, curiously for a lifetime, to never give up and go on to something else, never get distracted and be diverted to something else. And so for us, we continue to believe God is at work in our communities. We pray as we watch and we step.